Speak, O Lord, for we are listening. Amen. If you'd like to follow along, turn to the first epistle of John, chapter 4. And there's just a small portion that we will focus in on this evening for our meditation on God's Word. 1 John, chapter 4, beginning halfway through verse 16. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. God is love. Let's think about that statement and what that all means. Just three simple words, but yet there is such a deep truth in that statement. God is love. I see this statement as being bigger than just merely love being one of God's attributes like mercy and justice and truth. Love is, all of those things flow out of the nature of God, but we see in the scripture that this love, God is love. God equals love. Love equals God. What does that mean? Love was the motivation that God had for a lot of things that he did. Right from the very beginning, when God made man, he loved his creation. And his love was demonstrated when it was put to the test, because As a creation, as mankind, we rejected God's love. Love is relationship. Love was the motivation for God's relationship with us. But in order for that relationship to take place, love needs to be returned. And this is the very nature of love itself, in that In order for love to be fully understood and expressed and felt, there must also exist the possibility of the opposite. There must also exist the possibility to reject love, the possibility to hate, in order for us to see in that contrast what love is. That's why we have that choice. As God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, and through the choice of obedience, really embodied in that choice was the choice to love or to reject God's love. And then began the long 
process through history of God continually over and over demonstrating the fact that he is love and went to great, great extents to demonstrate his love. Did you catch that in the first song that the teen choir sang? Because he gave his everything. And that's what it comes down to in stages throughout history, culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the demonstration of God's love in giving everything, everything possible in order to restore, to make a way to restore this original intended relationship. And we see that expressed as Jesus himself said in the famous verse that many of us have memorized, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Love involves giving and involves sacrifice. And we know that also from our own personal experience. Love involves giving and love costs. There's a cost associated with love. And the deeper our relationship with the person whom we love, the more there is at risk. Love involves risk. God risked being rejected when he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gave them the choice to obey or disobey. That was a risk. God could have chosen a different form a different world in which there was no risk. But that would not have been the fullest possible expression of love. The same is true in our human relationships. The closest, most intimate relationship is marriage. Marriage is risk because we invest everything in that relationship. And if it goes south, it's very costly. Not just financially, I'm talking about more in emotional terms and in stress. Deep, deep hurt. But that is just the necessary outcome of the rejection of love. Understanding those extremes, God demonstrated his love with great risk. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. The Apostle John describes that dwelling in God means to live in love. And living in love means living in God. See how those are synonymous. That is, this is like a I like math. This is like a mathematical equation. Love equals God. Living in love equals living in God. Living in God equals living in love. We can use another word, this idea of dwelling and living. This is, this is a, a permanent dwelling. And when we think about the place where you live, so let's think of right now for as love as a place. All of us live in a place that we call home. There's a geographical location, a street address, a room, 
an apartment, a home. We call home. That's where we live. And if we think of it in these terms that the Bible tells us, that we live in love. Can we think of love as a place where we live? That is characterized, that describes what surrounds our life. What is your home life like? And could you say in your home, and can I say in my home, that the place where I live is synonymous with love? That's a tall calling for those of us that are parents and are given the responsibility to make a home where we live with our spouse, with our children? Is love there at home? Does our spouse feel the love of God from us? Do our children feel and experience the love of God from us in our home? Is that a safe place for us and for them? Does love characterize that? Or are there other things that really are at odds with love? Things like fear. Is there fear characterized in our home? And how we act and the things that we say and the attitudes that come forth. And as we respond to different situations in life, in our home, is it characterized by love? Or is it characterized by fear? There are other mottos with which we could run our home. You know, discipline might be one. Everything has to be perfect in order. Discipline, discipline, discipline. There's a place for discipline. But if it's in the absence of love, we're really missing the presence of God. Because God is love. And if we want to characterize, we want to have God's love in us, and we want to pass that on, In our home, in the place where we live, love needs to be the primary virtue expressed in our home. There's other things, right? Anger, maybe impatience, the desire to keep everything under control. Love is where we need to live. And this statement here about living and dwelling in love causes me to think about the Apostle John in writing the Gospel of John about the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. If you'd like to go there, if you want to follow with me. He dwells on this concept in more detail. Abide in me and I in you. Again, this concept of living in God is living in love. And we have the analogy of a grapevine. Jesus is the vine, and all those that are in Christ are the branches. And in order to live, to receive nourishment, we need to stay connected to the vine. And this is what it means here, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, 
No more can ye except ye abide in me. For without me ye can do nothing. Without us living in love, without us living in God, we can't do anything. Now we like to think to certain degrees that we're self-sufficient. We have a brain to think, we can make decisions, we receive nourishment from our food, we have strength. But do we realize that all that we are is from our Creator, God, who is love, and has created us in love, and is the sustainer, provider of everything. The very strength that we have comes from Him. The food that we eat is a result of Him blessing the land. If He doesn't bless things to grow, we won't have food. We know that. We're dependent upon the rain and the right seasons and the right temperatures. Everything is from the Lord. And so likewise, in our own lives, we need to have that continual reliance on God. For without Him, we can do nothing. Very closely related to living in love in God, the Apostle John tells us in verse 10 in John chapter 15, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So here's a practical instruction, because this, how do we live in love, is maybe sort of a, an idea that's kind of hard to get a hold of. It's, it's maybe a little bit more abstract, but he brings it down to the practical, if ye keep my commandments. This is practically how we live in the love of God. Where do we begin? If we keep his commandments, there are many, many commandments. And commandments are just that, commandments. They're not just good ideas. They're not just suggestions. It's not just a good ideology that we can pick and choose from. If we want to live in God, we need to keep his commandments and obey what he says. What is one of the first commandments that the Lord Jesus gave? When he began his ministry, did he not say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent was one of the early, early statements that Jesus said. Why? Because there is a problem in establishing, in us trying to establish a relationship with God that we can't on our own. It doesn't work. God was the one that had to establish and reestablish a relationship with us because there is this problem of sin that stands in the way of a love relationship. Sin comes between us and God. And there needed to be a way to deal with this sin issue that all of us have. And all of us were born in, and all of us lived in some form or another. And sin is not something that we can eradicate ourselves. Because God is just, that's another one of his attributes. And because he is also a judge, and a just judge, 
sin is a violation of his law. And as we know that we live in a land that has a law, has a law the law of the land, and if there are violations in the law, there is law enforcement that addresses that. And depending on the nature of the violation, you are apprehended and brought before a judge. And the judge looks at the evidence and based on what you have done and what the intent has been determined to be, there is a just penalty. We wouldn't consider a just judge just waiving all the penalties just because someone had a lot of good deeds. It doesn't work that way. There is justice. And God also is justice. And in order to reconcile, maybe reconcile is not the right word, but in order to live out both of these divine attributes that the Lord has, that of love and of mercy as well as justice, he came up with a way of paying for our sins through Jesus Christ. Not just paying for our sins as Jesus suffered and died for our sins because that's the death penalty. Sin deserves the death penalty. But he came, his sin cleanses us. It does more than just satisfy the death penalty. It cleanses us from sin such that we can be positioned to live as God wants us to live and to live in love. This removal of sin causes us to live in love, in the love of God. Which then gives us that power to keep his commandments. Let's think of God's commandments in two groups. I'm going to describe them in two groups. And one of those is the area that we consider as moral virtues. To love our neighbor as ourself, to avoid hurting one another, don't kill, don't steal, honor and respect, children, obey your parents, avoid sinning against God, avoiding gossip and slander, envy, hatred, all of these kinds of things. There's all kinds of commandments addressing these things, whether they be actions, thoughts, attitudes, lots of commandments. And in order to live in God, in order to dwell in Him, we need to, to keep those commandments in the power of God. This is this aspect of Earlier this week, there was a word mentioned, regeneration. That means being made new, completely new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so this newness of within us comes about by the love of God. And as we surrender ourselves unto his love, we are made new and given the power to keep his commandments. Without him, we are not able to live out those moral virtues in the fullest extent. We can, to a certain degree, it appears, question might be asked, well, why can't I be good without God? 
Why do I need God to be good? I know what good is. I'll just be good. But even in phrasing that question, we don't realize that the very definition of good is God. And the very embodiment of what we know to be good comes from God. And to deny that is to deny good, is to deny the existence of God, because he is the only one that is good, and he gives us that very definition. And more than just a definition, as Jesus came and walked on this earth, he lived what that looks like and what the very nature of God looks like on earth. The second grouping, so that was the first grouping of his commandments, right? The moral virtues. And I describe it as moral virtues more than just a moral code. Because a moral code is strictly, usually refers to behavior. But moral virtues begin deeper than merely behaviors on the surface. It deals with the very condition of our heart and our attitudes. That's the first grouping. The next grouping deals with the things that the Lord Jesus has called us unto. The moral, co- the, the moral virtues, that's universal, applies to every believer. Everyone that names the name of Christ needs to depart from iniquity and needs to obey his commandments. That's, that's a given. That's not up for debate. That's not up for negotiation. But there's also a more personal, specific aspect of his commandments. And um, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But it has to do with our calling and the, the, the personal calling that the Lord has for each one of us and the purpose for which he has created us. But let's continue on in 1 John chapter 4. Herein is our love made perfect, as in our love is made complete by dwelling in God and living in love. We grow to a point of completeness. The result of that, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, confidence in the day of judgment. Judgment is a scary thing. Standing before a judge that can decide your destiny, that does decide your destiny, is a fearful thing. But something happens when we become reconciled to God because the judge, God, is not only a judge, he is also our father. We have a number of scriptures that describe God and Jesus being the judge and the final judge. And we, we read about that in numerous places, but the one that I want to refer to is in, in uh, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This judge, God determines our destiny. There will come a day, a final judgment, when our destiny will be pronounced. 
That's a scary thing. But it doesn't have to be that way when we become reconciled to God, our Father, and live in love and live in God. Then we don't have to be afraid of the judgment. We can have this sense of confidence in the day of judgment because we know the judge personally as our Father. And we know that the Lord Jesus has received the penalty of our sins and has cleansed us from our sins. So there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That changed life is evidence of God living in us. No fear of judgment. But that is only for those that have repented of their sins. If you end up before the judge and your sins have not been dealt with, that's a scary thing. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. There's something very powerful that the love of God does. Love is a very powerful motivator. I think it's accurate to say love is the most powerful motivator known to us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because God used, God's love motivated him to reconcile his relationship with us through Jesus Christ. Love is the most powerful motivator. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. And I want to think of this in the terms of our calling. As Jesus came into this world, he came for a specific purpose, to fulfill a calling that the Father had for him. And so in order for him to fulfill that calling, he needed to be obedient to the Father. He humbled himself And he gave his everything in order to fulfill that calling. And so, as we that name the name of Christ as his disciples, how much are we giving up in order to fulfill the calling that the Lord has for us? How was Jesus in the world? We'll focus again on the theme of love. He demonstrated the love of the Father. And so in that love is how he responded to people all around him. He taught about the love of the Father. He taught about the commandments of the Father. And in his interaction with people, people that were hurting, people that were suffering, people that were sick, People that carried heavy burdens. That reminds me of another one of the songs that the teen choir sang. Come, wandering souls, and find your home. Hide away in the love of Jesus. He offers the rest that you yearn to know. Hide away in the love of Jesus. Hear him calling your name. Hear him calling your name. He is personal. 
And he knows every one of us by name. How great is our God that knows every one of us by name. See the depths of his love in the wounds of his grace. Come, guilty ones, weighed down by sin. Hide away in the love of Jesus. The freedom you long for is found in him. Hide away in the love of Jesus. Come to the love of Jesus. And I'm going to apply this also for the believer to fulfill our calling in him. Hear him calling your name. What is he calling you to do? Is there a particular work or ministry, perhaps shift in direction in your life or confirmation to continue and to persevere in the current direction that you have been hearing this week? feeling in your spirit as in the quietness you commune with God. That's not an option. Sometimes we think of these, of the, of the pursuit that God has in store for us as an option. It's not an option. And sometimes this aspect of fear is what keeps us in a particular place. And keeps us from pursuing the calling that our God has for you. Remember, love includes risk. Love is risky. And so following the calling that God has for you, there's probably a measure of risk involved in that. Brother Scott, that was one of the pebbles that he threw in the water on Sunday night. This concept of risk in following God. Risk in following the calling that he has for you. And if your nature is to avoid risk at all costs and to stay where it seems safe, that is an illusion because the safest place for you is to be where God calls you to be. Of course, that's a different view of safety maybe. But isn't it actually true the safest place for you to be is to go where God has called you to go? As dangerous as that might be, how dangerous, how dangerous was it for Jesus to come from heaven down? How much risk did he involve? He didn't take out extra insurance policies to cover those risks either, did he? He went in the grace of God. And likewise, when we go with God, in that confidence that he sends us in, don't worry about the risk. Don't fear the risk. But follow what the Lord gave, because he gave his everything. Because As he is, so are we in this world. There's a lot of things that our Lord did. And there's a lot of things that maybe we can become overwhelmed with. Listen to what the Lord is calling you to do. This is, of course, in addition to expressing the moral virtues. And in doing that calling... 
where God is calling you to go, what he's calling you to do within the body of Christ. He has equipped you as a believer with spiritual gifts in order to exercise that. And in so doing, that gives glory to God till the whole earth is full of his glory. That was one of the phrases that the ladies' choir sang. A few statements from this song that just, I hope, will motivate us in serving God. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. What's one of the views of what the glory of God looks like? It's when his, all of those that are the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, all those that are Christians, his church is mobilized and is as Jesus was in the world. That's what gives glory to God. Ministering to the poor, sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel of repentance, inviting those that are weary to come and rest in Jesus, giving hope and encouragement to those that are discouraged and sidetracked in their calling along the way, to come alongside them and encourage them to move forward, to keep on going, to keep pressing on because of the power of love and the power of God. How confident are you in your calling? It's easy to waver and to get distracted. We need to be focused in this abiding in him every day and following him with all of our heart and expressing the love of Jesus, expressing the love of God all the time to the point that we give our everything, no reservations. And I'm str- I struggle with this concept of what does it mean to give everything? What does that mean for me today, now, in my current walk of life with living in with my family, raising my children, earning a living, serving the Lord? What am I holding back? What am I trying to maintain control of? How much am I willing to give over to the Lord, to give him everything, just as Jesus did. He gave his everything. May God inspire us to give our everything. Amen.